I want to go back to our wheat and tares discussion. We've been talking about the fact that we are tremendously influenced by the people we let in and don't let into our lives. We've been talking kind of about the negative, about letting the wrong people in. And it's not always people. Sometimes it's something like an influence or drugs and alcohol or a philosophy. Um, sometimes we just get involved in things that poison us. And we need to separate ourselves from them. We need to recognize when we've done that and, and pull away. Sometimes it's a story we tell ourselves. Last time we talked about it's the weight of other people's expectations that I feel like I have to live my life the way other people think I should live my life. And, and taking off that weight of expectation can be very beneficial. So now we're going to do the other one. We kind of talked about two negatives. I'll put them over here. There were two negatives. One is I see wheat and it's tear. I let a poison into my life that I, I was, you know, and again, I can't tell the difference. We live in a world where wheat and tear are growing together and we sometimes can't tell the difference. So this is going to happen. But pulling them out as soon as we recognize it, I think is important. This one is dangerous because I let a poison in. But today I want to talk about, I want to start talking about sometimes I see a tear and what it is is wheat. And when I see a tear, like Abinadi in the Book of Mormon story, we keep tears away. We punish tears. We push tears down. We burn them. But some of the tears we burn really are wheat and would be tremendously beneficial if we let them into our life. So allow me to talk today about the person you treat the worst. The person, I think we all have a tendency to do it in one way or another. The person you see as tear and, and push down and punish. And you are probably more harsh, more rude, more unforgiving of this particular person than any other person on the planet. Anyone want to guess who I'm talking about? yourself. I want to talk about the tendency we have to see ourselves as tear. Um, every one of us have weakness and we're broken. Do you remember that wonderful scripture that says, if men come into me, I will show unto them their weakness. Now, what's the next line? I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. This life is going to bring a weakness, weaknesses, challenges, foibles. And we are given them for our eternal good so that we can be humble and we can recognize that we need a Savior. But so many times we take those weaknesses and we take that weakness and we punish ourselves because we're not perfect especially when we see other people who have a strength where we have a weakness. Tell me what you do when you walk in a room. What do you have a tendency to do when you walk in a room? 
you notice people. And sometimes we're a little threatened by the people who have a strength where we have a weakness. Let me see if I can show this to you in the scriptures. This is what we do to ourselves frequently in the scriptures. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter. Let's start in 17. We're just going to need the chapter heading of 1 Samuel 17. I just need you to know the story. Remember the story. 1 Samuel chapter 17, Old Testament. As soon as you get there and you recognize the story, yell it out. What's the story in 1 Samuel 17? David and Goliath, right? So let me remind you of the three characters here. We have David, who is not a member of the military. He's a shepherd boy who's coming to bring lunch to his brothers who are in the military. The military is led by King Saul, the very first king of Israel. And Saul has been pretty successful in battle. He has led Israel victoriously several times. But now they come up with a for, against a formidable foe. The Philistines have offered a challenge. We'll send our best guy out. You send your best guy out. They'll fight, and whoever wins, wins the battle for everyone. That's brilliant if you have a nine-foot-nine-inch giant named Goliath, which no one wants to face from Israel. And so they're kind of freaking out because no one is able to go out and do hand-to-hand -hand combat against this giant. Well, David shows up delivering food to his brothers, sees what's going on, and offers to go out and take on Goliath. And you know the story. The shepherd boy defeats the warrior. Now go to chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, they are coming back from the battle. And the women start to sing. Now look at verse 7. Tell me what the women start to sing. Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Do you see what's about to happen? Saul is going to compare his success to David. This is where we walk in the room and we notice she's so much prettier than I am. He's so much more successful than I am. He's a better student. She's more talented. Now watch what Saul does in verse 8. I think this is something we all typically do. And I want to focus on this word. Will you tell me what Saul does with the word but? Tell me what Saul does with the word but. Ready? 1 Samuel 18, 8. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David 10,000. And to me they have ascribed but thousands. 
Let me read it again. You tell me, what is he doing with the word but? They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Eden, tell me what he's doing with the word but. Um, Yep. And he's tearing himself down. He's tearing himself down because why? Someone else is prettier. Someone else is skinnier. Someone else makes more money. Someone else is more talented. This is our human tendency to see ourselves as a tear to hate something about ourselves. Sometimes it's physical. I hate my hair. I hate my face. I hate my height. I hate my size. I hate my body. And we see something in us that we don't like, and it just, and then we see other people who have beautiful hair, or they're thin, or they're talented, or they can sing, or whatever it is, and we, we tear ourselves down by comparison. We butt ourselves. We tear ourselves down because they have something that I don't. It's human nature. We look at ourselves and we see a flaw. And then pretty soon that's all we see in ourselves is the flaw. I'm convinced, I think I know why people hate to see photos of themselves. I think it's because people see in themselves something they don't like. And then when they see a photo of themselves, they realize that other people see it too. And then they're so embarrassed. And we butt ourselves. We tear ourselves down because someone else, in comparison, we think is better. This can't be pleasing to Heavenly Father the way we're treating ourselves. And again, going to what I'm talking about, is this between me and Heavenly Father affected when I treat myself that way. When I treat His creation as a tear. And I tear myself down. I think I, think I know when it began. I have a suspicion. Tell me what you think about this. Turn to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. Go to Moses chapter 3. I think, I suspect, this was the original temptation. Um, if you really watch the order, this one, Satan tempted this before he tempted them to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So I think I would call this the original temptation. Moses chapter 3, he's introducing them into the Garden of Eden. Come with me into the Garden of Eden. Now, there were lots and lots of trees in the Garden of Eden, right? Now, verse 16, tell me, if I were acting this out, if I'm Heavenly Father and I've got Adam and Eve with me, tell me, and you're directing the film that we're filming, tell me how you would, how would you advise me to act this out? Ready? Tell me what I should do when I say the word every. 
Heavenly Father, introducing them into the Garden of Eden, says in verse 16, And I, the Lord God, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Tell me what would you have me do when I said the word every? Eden, what would you have me do? If you're directing me, how do you have me act out that phrase? Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't I be doing this? What would I be pointing to? Tell me what I'm pointing to. All that they can do. Tell me Heavenly Father doesn't come into your life and say, okay, I know some of you have a broken knee, but look at all that you can do. Look at all that you are. Look at all the positive. I think Heavenly Father is saying, look at every tree you could partake of. Look at all the good, all the possibilities. Now, go to the very next chapter and tell me what Satan is pointing at when he uses the exact same word. Satan comes to Eve and says in verse 7, wait a minute. Didn't God say you could eat from every tree of the garden? Tell me what he's pointing at. Do you see it? Heavenly Father says, of every tree you may freely eat. And Satan says, didn't Heavenly Father say you could eat from every tree? What's he pointing at? The one thing, the one thing he's told them not to do. So tell me what Satan will always point out. Your flaws. Satan will always point out your flaws. Now you have a heavenly father who's saying, of every tree thou mayest freely eat. Look at what I made when I made you. Look at all the trees you have in front of you. And Satan comes along and says, but what about your hair? What about your teeth? What about your height or your weight? Or what about your this or your that? Or what about this? And he has us focus on the one little flaw. Now, don't answer this question, but think about it. Which of those two do you listen most to? Which of those two is in your head the most? All that you are, all that you can do, all that Heavenly Father made, or the one or two things you can't do, or you aren't. Tell me which one of those two you obsess over. The things you can't do, or... We all do that, right? Every single one of us, we all do that. It is human nature 
to focus on the flaw. Now, that can't be pleasing to Heavenly Father. It can't, and it has to affect. I'm just positive it affects my relationship with Him. When the terror I'm keeping out of my life is me and who He made and what He gave me and all of the trees that I can partake of. When I am constantly butting myself or tearing myself down because of a handful of flaws and not rejoicing in the glorious creation he made. Do you see what I'm talking about? The biggest terror that we keep out of our life instead of embracing as wheat. Sometimes we focus so much on the flaw within us Now, if you did that to me, if all you saw in me was the flaw, wouldn't you admit you're being kind of a rotten person? If you ignored all the good things in me and in my life and all you saw was the flaw, wouldn't you say you're being a rotten person to me? It's not okay. It's suddenly not okay if if the person you're being a rotten person towards is yourself. It can't be pleasing to Heavenly Father. Let me show you one more scripture. He just, this, he just, this idea comes up so many times in the scriptures. Turn to Doctrine and Covenants section 25. This section was given to Emma Smith. Now, Emma had many wonderful opportunities, but there were some things that were held back. One of those, for some reason, was not seeing the plates. Now, Emma never saw the plates. Other people did, but Emma didn't. She took care of them. She dusted them. She talks about one time she kind of had to pick them up to, to dust, and she thumbed the pages. She knew it was a book, and she knew it was a very heavy book, but she never got to see it. She never got to see the gold plate. Other people did. Now, you can imagine Emma would kind of... Look at verse 4. Tell me what Heavenly Father says. Now, we're going to broaden this. We're going to widen this. And what if the one thing he's talking about is the flaw that you see? Ready? Doctrine and Covenants 25, verse 4. Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen, which for they are hit, withheld from thee and from the world, which is wisdom in me in a time to come. Now tell me all the things you pull out of that verse. Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen. They are withheld from thee, which is wisdom in God, wisdom in me. Tell me what we pull out of that verse. What's he teaching Emma and all of us? Eden, what do you see? Um, I see that we can't have faith and humility. Very good. And again, back to Ether 12, I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. Faith and humility. In other words, why do you have the weakness that you have? Why do you have what you see as the flaw?
If you had everything that you wanted, what kind of life would this be? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be the life that we need, right? To me, one of the things that stands out, he says, I have withheld this for a wise prayer. He says, wisdom in me. So why are you the way you are? Why did you get the body that you got? The talents that you do and don't have? The height? Why do you have the body that you have? Why were you born into the family? Who put you in that family? Who sent you to earth at this time? All of those things were decisions he made. He gave me the body he knows I need. So tell me what I'm saying to him when I hate something about the body he gave me. When I'm angry, see, and that's going to affect my relationship with him, right? Aren't I saying to him, Lord, you screwed up. You should have given me that body or that person's life or that set of hair, or those teeth, or that talent. You screwed up. You should have given me someone else's life. But what do you know about Heavenly Father? If someone else's life would have been better for you, what would he have done? There's a great scripture in the Book of Mormon. If you want to turn to Jacob chapter 5 in the allegory of the tame and the wild olive tree, he gets to a point where the, the, the olive tree has gone bad. And he asks an intriguing question that I think we ought to answer. Verse 49, he starts it, and then he's going to answer it, ask it again. Sorry, verse 41. When the olive tree goes bad, what does he ask? Verse 41, he says, What could I have done more? for my vineyard. And then he answers the question. Look at verse 47. But what could I have done more for my vineyard? Have I slackened my hand that I have not nourished it? Nay, I have nourished it, and I've digged about it, and I've pruned it, and I've dunged it, and I've stretched forth my hand, and I don't want to lose it. So end of verse 49, he says, what could I have done more for my vineyard? So what's the answer? What more could he have done for the vineyard? The answer is nothing. He did everything that he could possibly do. So is that true of you? Don't you sense him saying the same thing? If someone else's life or if someone else's body would have been better for you, what would he have done? He would have given, he would. That's what he's saying. Therefore, tell me what he's saying about the body you received, the life you have. It's perfect for our life. He knows that your life, your body, is exactly what you need to be saved. That is an intriguing doctrine that's being taught. Everything that's happening to me that he's choosing. I didn't choose to be born in 1969 to Jetty and Tracy. 
I didn't choose to be six feet tall in sixth grade. When I was in ninth grade, I was six foot three and I weighed 122 pounds. You picture what my body looked like? I was, I was mocked and made fun of my whole childhood. But if someone else's body would have been better for me, what would he have done? So do you see the tendency? Let's talk antidote now. I think you, I hope we can all see the problem. The problem is we tear ourselves down. We compare ourselves to someone else. And usually when we're doing that, it's not fair because we're comparing, we're comparing our worst to their best. And that's not fair. But I think we focus on the flaw. We listen to the wrong voice. We focus on the flaw. We tear ourselves down instead of focusing on all the things that we have. We have a tendency to focus on the flaw. So let's, let's turn to the antidote in the Book of Mormon. So this little set, setting was Saul and David. David slew 10,000 and Saul slew thousands. And he compared himself. There's a similar situation in the Book of Mormon. Five friends go on missions. Four of them go to the Lamanites and convert the Lamanites. That's cool. That's just incredible. The other one stays with the Nephites, goes to Ammoniah. His converts are burned with fire and he's kicked out and the city's destroyed. And that's when they meet. Alma meets up with Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni when Ammon is coming back with thousands of Lamanite converts and Alma is coming out of Ammoniah, having been a failure and watching the, I don't know that he was a failure, but he could certainly see himself as a failure. And now they're going to meet. Now, don't you think that Alma has a moment here to tear himself down, especially looking at his friends and what they did? But Alma gives us the antidote. Turn to Alma chapter 29. I just think the Book of Mormon gives us a beautiful antidote here. I think you have to have Alma 29.9 moment before you can have an Alma 29.14 moment. But both moments are necessary. So let me erase the but. Let me erase the but. Instead of budding myself instead of tearing myself down because someone else is prettier or makes more money or is more talented instead of tearing myself down let's talk about alma 29:9 let's read it sabrina are you with us could you could you read alma 29:9 One more time. What? Read that one more time. I know that which the Lord has commanded me and I glory in it. Okay, one more time. I want everyone to hear this again. I know that the Lord which, I know that which the Lord has commanded me and I glory in it. 
There's the antidote. Okay, Sabrina, read it this time. And instead of saying commanded me, I want you to say made me. Made me. I know that which the Lord hath made me, and I glory in it. There's the key. Now say given me. I know that which the Lord hath given me, and I glory in it. Now, do you sense the idea here? I know who God made me and I glory in it. Now, sometimes people push back and say, no, 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 you can't do that. That's pride. You can't glory in yourself. That's pride. Read the rest, Sabrina. Read the rest of this. It's not pride. I do not glory in myself, but I glory in which the Lord hath commanded. Okay, you can just stop there. It's not pride if you're honoring God for what he did. It's pride if you think you're better because of it. It is not an act of pride to be grateful to God for the life that you have, for the body that you have, even for the challenges that you have. I know who I am and I glory in it. It's that magic moment. This Alma 29.9 moment is when you finally say, Heavenly Father did something wonderful when he made me. I am not a tear. I am wheat. He made me something valuable and I honor him for making him, for making me. I honor who I am. I glory in it. It's that magical moment when you accept yourself as wheat. And you stop focusing on the flaws. Brother Dunford. Let's hear it, Alicia. Um, I have a comment to make about... Great. Let's hear it. Um, I have epilepsy, and it started at 17. And I thought it was a flaw, and I was mad at God for a lot of years. But I finally got over that. And this is going to sound, sound bad, but I threw my scriptures and I was trying to throw them in the garbage can and they fell open to First Nephi chapter 3 and the verses that caught my eye is where Nephi is telling his father that he will go and do as the Lord has commanded. So you gotta get over your mad spot and just deal with the hand you've been dealt. And I would add, not only deal with it, but be grateful for it. Because a divine God who knows what's very best, he was the one that had that happen to you. 
If Heavenly Father didn't want Alicia to have epilepsy, he could take it away at any moment. But there's a divine reason for that. And so I need to not only deal with it, but say, thank you, Lord, for the challenges that I face, because I now recognize there's wisdom, that this is my best chance, that you're doing this for my good, not to hurt me. And that's, it's evidence that you're in my life. That's the Alma 29.9 moment. Thank you, Alicia. That's exactly what we're talking about. Is my body, my challenges are not a curse. They're not a weakness. They're not a plague. They are a divine heavenly father giving me the very things he knows I need in order to be saved. I glory in that. I glory in that Heavenly Father loves me enough to give me this challenge and to help me with it. Eden. Um, I heard something yesterday that was like, like Christ can consecrate all things or he can make um, a purpose in all things, the good and the bad, if you allow him to. Yeah, that's beautiful. But what, what could we do? What could I do with my weakness? I love the scripture that says, it, which one of you, if your son were to ask for food, if he asked for bread, would you give him a stone? Heavenly Father doesn't do that. But we sometimes take what Heavenly Father gives us and turn it into stones. We think it's a stone. We think that God gave me a stone. He doesn't give stones. He only gives bread. And when we finally have that moment that says, look, I, I am something great. Heavenly Father made something fantastic. I, I glory in that. That's the moment I'm talking about, is when we stop pushing ourselves out as, we, as tears and we pull it in. Let me give you an example, okay? I think you probably, I don't know, maybe you don't know her, but you've probably watched and seen. Can you imagine being Jeffrey R. Holland's wife? Her name is Pat, Patricia. Anyone ever seen her? She's very quiet. She's almost shy. Now, how, that, how is that going to go? A shy woman married to Jeffrey R. Holland, who is not shy in any sense of the imagination, right? Tell me what she's going to do to herself being married to him. This is her own words. This is Pat Holland. She said, our Father in heaven needs us as we are, as we are growing to become. He has intentionally made us different from one another so that even with our imperfections, we can fulfill his purposes. My greatest misery comes when I feel I have to fit what others are doing or what I think others expect of me. I am most happy when I am comfortable being me and trying to do what my Father in heaven and I expect me to be. For many years, I tried to measure the oft times quiet, reflexive, thoughtful Pat Holland against the robust, bubbly, and talkative and energetic Jeff Holland and others who have like qualities. Now listen to what she says. I have learned through several fatiguing failures that you cannot have joy in being bubbly if you are not a bubbly person. 
It is a contradiction in terms. I have given up seeing myself as flawed because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does, nor as fast. So tell me, for years, what was she doing? She was butting. Yes, she was butting herself because she's not what her husband is. And she was comparing herself and tearing herself down. She said, uh, let me read that again. I have given up seeing myself as a flawed person because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does, nor as fast. Giving this up has freed me to embrace and rejoice in my own manner and personality in the measure of my creation. Now, do you see what we're talking about in terms of hearing him? Giving that up, stopping the tearing of myself down, has freed me to embrace and rejoice in what Heavenly Father made me. Letting go of that, embracing myself as wheat, brings Heavenly Father into my life. And then she says, this is going to be our next scripture, Ironically, this has allowed me to admire and enjoy Jeff's qualities even more. Somewhere, somehow, the Lord helped me see that my personality was created to fit precisely the mission and talents he gave me. For example, the quieter, calmer talent of playing the piano reveals much about the real Pat Holland. I would never have learned to play the piano if I hadn't enjoyed the long hours of solitude required for its development. The same principle applies to my love of writing and reading and meditation and especially teaching and talking with my children. Miraculously, I have found I have untold abundant sources of energy to be myself. But the moment I indulge in imitation of my neighbor, I feel fractured and fatigued and find myself forever swimming upstream. When we, frustrate, when we frustrate God's plan for us, we deprive this world and God's kingdom of our unique contributions and a serious schism settles in our soul. God never gave us a task beyond our ability to accomplish it. We just have to be willing to do it our own way. We will always have enough resources for being who we are and what we can become. I know who I am and I glory in it. That's me and Heavenly Father. Now watch this one. As soon as you have an Alma 29 moment, you can have an Alma 29 14 moment. I don't think you'll ever have an Alma 29 14 moment until you have an Alma 29 9 moment. Until you stop tearing yourself down and seeing yourself as tear, when you finally say, I know who I am and I glory in it. And I'm no longer going to tear myself down because of my flaws and my weaknesses. I'm going to rejoice in all that Heavenly Father made me. The moment you have that, what can you do? 
Tell me what Alma does in verse 14 that Saul did not do. Saul did the opposite. But tell me what Alma does in, in verse 14. He's not threatened by the joy, the success of others. It doesn't tear him down. He doesn't tear himself down because someone does something good. He finds joy in it. My joy is more full because of the success of my brethren. Do you see how much better a way to live this is? And do you see that as far as hearing him goes, this is going to have a tremendous influence on my relationship with Heavenly Father. And revelation will flow. You want to hear him better? Stop tearing yourself down as a tear. You are not a tear. You are his divine creation. And he did something incredible when he made you. And he made only one of you. In all the universe, there's only one of you. And he did something great. When you have that moment and you rejoice in who you are and are no longer threatened by the success of others but can have joy, that is so much a better way to live. You will be so much happier if this is how you choose to live. Harmony with God. Harmony with other people. First commandment. Second commandment. I bear you my testimony. You are not a tear. You are wheat. See his divine hand in everything about your life. And be grateful for it. I testify he did something fantastic when he made you, you are not a tear. Don't treat yourself as a tear. It cannot be pleasing to Heavenly Father that we treat one of his divine creations as a tear. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.